Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this podcast, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Head over to thebridgelive.org and find access to all of our church information. Plus, it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at the Bridge Church. But most importantly, I hope you find the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey, getting from where you are to where you want to be. Cross that bridge. Enjoy. Well, we're going to close up our Authentic Faith series today. Uh, Handouts are over on the table. Handouts for all four of the messages are on there. Uh, Has this helped anybody? I mean, it's, uh, it's, you got to know how to pray uh, I think later in the in the year we'll we'll do a series on prayer. Maybe Pastor Michelle can teach that one, uh, because if you don't know how to pray, as we're going to find out today, we can just be talking and and you know rambling on. Right? You ever pray with somebody who rambles on, and we're not getting anywhere. We're praying out of our out of our head, and we're just talking. Well, a lot of times those prayers just hit the ceiling. So in this series, we're talking about how to pray, how to pray correctly, and how to pray so we get answers. Anybody want answers? You know, it's like the the praise report that we had this morning. It's like when we attach um, the Word of God to our prayer life and stand and claim the promises, authentic faith is easy. But how many of you know when you pray and you say amen, the fight starts there? I mean, it's not fun to to have to stand and listen to the enemy scream at you about how you don't qualify and how you're not good enough and all the past that you have, you can't possibly be good enough to to be a, a pastor or a minister or even a Christian, right? We've all heard those things and we have to understand faith. We have to understand how it works because that's what releases the resources of heaven into our situation. You know, whether it's wind or it's rain or a driving force that pushes a fire another direction, who knows? And who cares, really? Because it could have been a major catastrophe. Avert it. So, authentic faith is to stand. We've been talking about Ephesians 6, where Paul tells the church to stand, right? To not be moved, to remain solid in belief, and withstand in the fight. You ever get in a fight with somebody, and you got you, you think you got help, and then you turn around, and the help is evaporated. And you're like, what just happened? I need some help to stand in this fight, to withstand the devil, because he is going to attack. And Jesus said that uh, persecutions will come. And part of that persecution is him telling you that you suck. That's the way it is. Believe it or not, you know, that's just the way it is. So, our, our, you know, we can't pray for this thing called faith. You know, we have to go after it in order to gain some faith, no matter what kind, saving, healing, keeping a fire off your house type of faith, whatever it is. You have to go find a promise. And the promises start here. The faith begins where the word of God is known. Okay? Faith begins where the word of God is known. So if you don't understand or you don't know or you don't have the promise book or you don't even, you know, have a clue, you are going to be praying prayers that are just going to evaporate into no man's land. The whole process is finding the promise, right? Talked about that week one, securing, grabbing, understanding, having it in our heart, God's promise. Yes, I need healing. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I am claiming that promise for myself or for whoever you are laying hands on. And your word says, when you say those words, you are reminding God of his promise, and this is how you pray the prayer of faith. If you didn't, if you weren't here for the first week, everything starts with that. When you declare, Lord, I am standing on your promise, and your word says, by Jesus' stripes, we were. What tense is were? Past tense. And Lord, your word says that by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. Right there, your mind should change. 
There should be a switch in your attitude to like, this is already done, right? So now you have secured the promise in your heart. And now week two, we talked about uh, acting on God's word. That promise says I'm healed. So now I'm going to act like I'm healed. I'm going to ignore what my body says. I'm going to ignore what people say. And I am going to be acting like I am healed. And I'm not going to be moved because week three last week, we talked about resisting every doubt. Every doubt's going to come and hit you right square in the face. Well, that did, it still hurts. It's still messed up. My finances are still jacked up, and I've been giving. Well, you know, I'm not going to be moved by what the bank says, what the doctor says, and I'm all for doctors. Let me trust me. I don't particularly, well, never mind. I'm going to get in trouble if I say that, so we're just going to say I trust doctors with everything, medications, all that stuff. But when you add faith to those things, results can happen, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's easy to, to disqualify, you know, things and push them aside, but maybe you're trying to, you should learn something in this, right? So we, we have to resist every doubt, and, and today I want to end, this series is really about 10 weeks long, and today I want to talk about this, the absolute issue with getting your faith into action and to walk in authentic faith is to understand you are righteous. You are, and, and, and right away, if you were like me, when I heard this when I was young, my mind went to, no, I'm not. You don't know where I came from or what I've done or who I was. There's no way I can be righteous. We're going to go with this today. In order to be strong in the fight, to be able to stand, to withstand, not only do you need to know who you are, which we're going to start in a couple of weeks, but the number one rule on your handout there, number one, has to be I am righteous. Right? Say it with me. I am righteous. Okay? What just jumped into your head? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Well, yes, you are, and, and that's important to understand. Now, we're going to be in James chapter 5 today, and we're going to bounce around a little bit, but if we look in James 5, and I love James, James and his writing because it's practical. I mean, we've all heard series about faith and what faith is. This is faith in action. This is how you do it, right? I, I, faith is great, and it pleases God, and that's wonderful knowledge, but unless it's operating in my life, it's useless, right? How many of you buy expensive stuff and then don't even use it, right? You're like, well, I wasted money on that. Well, faith is probably the most important thing because you have to have faith to believe God is who he is, who he says he is, or you're just wasting time. What are we doing here, right? Either God is who he says he is or not, right? So uh, look at James chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, and notice, listen to what's happening here. He's writing to, to Christians, right? And listen to what he says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. If anyone is among you sick, he's asking that question like with surprise in his voice going, any of you sick? How can you possibly be sick, right? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Notice where the onus is for the praying. It's on the sick person to call for the elders, not for the elders to have some amazing prophecy and some, oh, you must be sick. Let me come over. It's on you to call for the elders to come and pray. Now, we've done this as a church where we've called people to come and pray, and they were like, the usual, no, I'm fine. It's like, dude, you've been sick for three weeks, and you're fine? Okay. That's pride, is what that is. So he says, the onus is on the people to call for the elders to come and pray uh, over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith. What prayer? The prayer of faith we've been talking about for three weeks will save. That save is sozo that we've heard about before which is to uh, heal or make whole 
the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He's, he, this is not confession to, unto salvation. If you have ought against somebody, if I have... If I've been talking about somebody or if I got a problem with somebody or if I'm offended with somebody, he's saying unforgiveness is going to hold up your prayer. Go fix it. Go confess your sin to your to your brother, whether whoever it is. If I got an issue with Noel and I'm I'm sick, maybe you know, I'm not saying that the sickness is caused by my unforgiveness, but it probably is your unforgiveness that's causing the sickness. Right? That, that was funny. You missed it. Totally went over your head. You'll catch up with you at lunchtime. But here's the thing. A lot of, of diagnosis for sickness, depression, uh, anxiety, all of these things are caused by uh, unforgiveness, having ought against somebody else and being stressed out about it. Does that make sense? So he's saying, go fix it before the elders come and pray for you. Okay, then he goes on here, and this is what I really want to focus on today, the effective, say effective, effective. fervent, say fervent. fervent, prayer of a righteous man avails much. How many of us in this room want our prayers to avail much? Anybody, right? It's like, come on. But here's the kicker. When you read that verse and you see that last part that says, righteous man that nullifies me i guess because i'm not righteous even though i say i'm righteous i'm not righteous well we're going to fix that whole problem today right so unforgiveness can stop the prayer of faith and we're going to confess to each other so that we have a clean heart that's all you know and sometimes it hurts i know after years of, of being saved i had issues i had to call some folks and go dude i'm sorry <laughs> i've been talking about you I've been running you down. I've been talking, gossiping about you. I, I want to apologize. And most of the time, if the person who you're apologizing to is a mature Christian, they'll say, hey, that's between you and God. And it exactly is between you and God because God's telling you to go fix it. And your prayers will bounce off the ceiling and be like a clanging symbol unless you get that unforgiveness out of your heart. Right? Two things Two conditions for the prayer of faith to work on your handout there. Number one, it needs to be effective, which meaning needs to be prayed right. Secure the promise. Get it in your heart. Confess that word and stand on it, right? So many times we're praying ineffectively because we just don't know, never been taught, don't understand. Let the pastor pray because he does it really good. You know, that's all craziness. You have as much authority as I do. Nobody's better than anybody. Right? Amen. Right? We're asking God to move most of the time, and half the time, God's going, just believe what I said. Your prayer has to be effective. And the second part, the second one on your handout there, it needs to be out of your heart, not out of your head. Because when we start praying out of our head, that's when the mess starts. Because where is it? It's in our soul. When if it's in our soul, we got an issue. It's a problem because your mind, your will, and your emotions, especially your emotions, are in there. It's like last night with our neighbors. I'm like, Lord, just move them all out. Get everybody out of here. It's 11 o'clock with their stupid fireworks already. I'm done. Right? That's a prayer out of my head that just floats off into no man's land. Right? It's important that we pray out of our heart. Half the times we pray, we can't remember what we said because it wasn't based in the word. It was just complaining, basically, right? And we're trying to fix some stuff that we should have taken care of in the first place. Oh, pastor, why are you talking about that now? You know, we got to pray that we're not late for work when we goofed off all morning or, you know, all these stupid things that we're wasting time doing. Remember, our focus has to be the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. So let's talk about righteousness for a minute. Remember, you, if you're a believer, you are righteous. Look at your neighbor and say, you look righteous today. 
<laughs> Our whole life is based on the promises of God. It's not about performance, and the enemy is going to throw this in your face that you can't qualify. You, you've, the stuff you've done is unforgivable. You are, you are out of line to even ask God's promises. Has anybody ever heard that before? Right? It's just like you're not good enough. And James, look at chapter, chapter 5, verse 17. Let's just continue on reading here. He says, and he's, he's going to show us, this is why I love James so much, because he's so practical. He's going to show us an example of a righteous man. Right? So in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I would circle that part right there. Okay? And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Wow. To be like Elijah, right? Just be able to pray and have to stop the rain for three years and six months. That's somebody. That's somebody righteous, right? Wish I could be like him, right? That'd be great. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. To be able to do that type of prayer and be righteous like Elijah, right? Well, let me share a story with you from 1 Kings 18, where this dude Elijah, right, he, he's getting into it with the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets against one guy, and he starts out that chapter by telling Israel, listen to this, this is great. He has the, the audacity to stand in front of Israel and go, hey, either believe God or believe Baal, but believe somebody. Stop being a double-minded man, right? We could, that's a whole other section of this series. <laughs> He's telling them, pick a side. And after that, he calls out the prophets, all 450. How much faith and righteousness must he really have to call out 450 prophets and say, all right, this is it. We're going, we're going, we're going to battle. Head to head, straight up, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose. We're going to do this thing. And he builds it, they build this altar. And this big, huge altar. And they have two bulls. And they, he says to them, you take one, I'll take one. We'll find out whose God is really God. And he's face to face with these dudes. And he says, I'll even let you go first. So if your God destroys the altar, we'll all know Baal is the real God. So these 450 guys start dancing around. They start calling out all these weird old names. They start cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place, making a, a sanitary mess. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy. And this goes on until noon. Right? And then Elijah starts chirping these guys. He's like, ha, your God, he must be in the bathroom. Maybe he's on a trip. Right? Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe we should go wake him up. He's chirping these guys real bad. Right? And they're, they're trying and singing and dancing and trying to get their God to do. They're calling on Baal to come down and destroy the altar. Right? The sacrifice. And finally, at about evening time, Elijah's had enough. Remember, he's righteous and full of faith. He's had enough. And he tells them, rebuild the altar. And he takes his bull and he cuts it. He lays it on the altar, right? Then they dig a trench around the altar. Remember, famine is happening and drought is happening. And Elijah takes two big bags of seed, which is gold for these people. They're in the middle of a famine. And he pours it in this trench. Then he takes four barrels of water in a famine and pours it in the trench and he calls down fire from heaven and God shows up and just annihilates this thing, blows it up. Don't we, can't we be that righteous and that full of faith to call down God's fire from heaven in front of 450 of our worst opponents? God showed up and knocked it out, destroyed everything. The water, the seed, the bull, the, the built-up altar, everything, gone. And he's like, I told you. I told you. And he said to the 450 guys, he said, come with me. Let's go down to the river. And then he whacked all of them, all 450 of them, killed them all. 
on top of his great faith and much righteousness. And he, he, would you consider that a major victory? A major faith victory? Because Elijah is such a righteous guy. Isn't he? Wish I could pray like that. Wish I could have results like that. We'd have a building and, you know, all kinds of cool things, right? Well, guess what? Ahab, who is the king, sent a text to Jezebel about what happened. And Jezebel's like, say what? I'm going to have Elijah's head. Word gets back to this mighty, righteous, full of faith prophet that just wiped out 450 guys that Jezebel, who she owned the prophets, is coming to get him and she's going to kill him. This mighty man of faith, full of righteousness, bolts, <laughs> takes off running to hide because he's full of fear and afraid of what's going to happen. Do you think that was a bummer for him? Do you think that that ended up well in his place? It says in the word of God that he was running under the hand of God, that God was directing him. But he took off and he split and he ran to the top of this mountain and then he ran to this other place and finally it was a vision from an angel of the Lord that stopped what he was doing. And that's when he has the vision where it's the wind and all this stuff where the, it was just a still, small voice that says, spoke to him and said, Elijah, I got your back. Stop running. And, and you know, a, such a massive faith victory. And yet he collapsed under pressure and took off, man. He, he bolted. And then it, he prays a prayer in there towards the end of the story where it's like, oh, God. And we've all prayed this prayer. If you didn't, you're just lying. Just, just kill me now. You know, these people don't even do right. And, you know, I'm suffering. I'm dying out here. You know, greatest victory ever. And 24 hours later, he's laying on his face complaining to God. Just kill me now. I can't go on. Woe is me. <laughs> and he's the righteous one, and he's the one full of faith. Think about this for a second. There is no one ever more righteous than anybody else. We are 100% righteous 100% of the time, no matter what. Because you do unrighteous things does not make you unrighteous. Because you act a fool, you are still righteous. Amen? Amen. So remember, he, the Bible says he had a nature like ours. And that, you know, he gave him his best victory. And he failed. So the next time you fail on your faith victory and you, you collapse under pressure. Remember, Elijah, who just did this massive, 450 people, you know how many people that is? That's like the waiting line at Texas Roadhouse on a Saturday, <laughs> right? And it's just a lot of folks. And then he collapsed 24 hours later, but it says he had, he had a nature just like us. He's just a guy. Sometimes I think we look at Paul. Oh, if I could pray like Paul. If I could have faith like Paul. If I could have, you know, the, uh, the gumption like Peter, be able to just do stuff. If I could do that. You know what? They're just guys. Look at Paul's past. Woo! Checkers everywhere. Right? And Peter, you know, couldn't control his mouth. Shut up, dude. You know, and he's the only one that's ever been, get behind me, Satan. Duh. That wouldn't be fun. Right? Have the Lord tell you that? It says, the Bible says that the effective fervent prayer of the righteous man availeth much. Romans 5.17. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stack here, okay? I'm going to take three scriptures and I'm going to merge them and stack them, right? Uh, Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, how much more, how much more, how much more, 
those who receive the abundance of grace and the, catch this, circle this word, gift of righteousness, okay? Will reign in life. Ooh, now we're talking, right? Through one, Jesus Christ, Romans 10.10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You see where I'm going with this? This is going to be exciting. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then, of course, the common one is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So let's put these three scriptures together in context and read it. Let it hit your heart and understand who you are. This ain't a game. When you were born again, there was a change. It wasn't a remodel. It was a new, right? It wasn't rehab, refab, make it just kind of partly new with a dark corner where Vader lives. It was new, pristine, right? Revelation calls it crystal glass lake, right? That's God's people. That's the saved Christians on this planet after the, the Jesus comes to get his church. That's what that ref reference is to. How can it something that's crystal glass and pure be messed up? So let's read this. Put together. Right? I'm going to take three scriptures and put them together. Listen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look at your neighbor and say, you look new. Okay? You are new. Then, for with the heart, say heart, one believes unto righteousness, right? With your heart, you have to believe you are righteous, right? And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the, say it, gift of, self, of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. So if we put this together, we're born again, made new. With the heart, we believe we are righteous. We confess with our mouth that we are saved, right? And, and then uh, we receive the abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. Here's the whole stinking problem with people. They don't receive gifts as gifts. They receive them as works-related things. I got to be good to be righteous, Eh, sorry, that's the wrong answer. Either you're, like, like Elijah told the children of Israel, Israel, either you're righteous or you're not. So decide. Look at your neighbor and say, decide to be righteous. Paul's saying some pretty important things that this righteousness is critical to your life if you're going to operate in authentic faith. Because your faith cannot, cannot operate correctly if you do not understand your righteousness. Does that make sense? We just stack some scriptures saying we're born again. It's a gift of righteousness. I believe it in my heart and I'm confessing out of my mouth that I am righteous. Got it? Got it. Are you with me? Yeah. Number two on your handout. Righteous works don't help. You're not going to make yourself more righteous by doing good things. You know, pushing the guy's car out of the street. Oh, I'm righteous now. Look at me. I am righteous. Very righteous. Because I helped a homeless guy. I gave him a sandwich and sent him on his way. I am now righteous. Then you get home and you yell at your wife. And now, uh, uh, there goes the righteousness, I guess. Just going to have to deal with this my whole life. Here's what we do as people. Because of the mentality we were brought up in is we attribute righteousness to good works. I have to do right to be right. And what happens is you're taking the gift and putting it away. It's no longer a gift if you're going to work for it. Paul explains this whole thing in like Romans chapter 4. If it's a gift, it's free. If it's not a gift, if you're going to work for it, it's not a gift and it costs you something. It's free. It's a gift. Accept it. You are not righteous because of what you do. You are righteous because of who you are. You are righteous. 
It's a gift and it starts in the heart. Here's the thing. When you were born again and God made you new, God doesn't make new unrighteous things. He makes new righteous things. So every time that you have issues, right, we have to remember, here's your confession. It says, believe in the heart unto righteousness. Here's your confession. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when he says, believe in your heart unto righteousness, your confession is, I am righteous through Jesus. I am the righteousness of God through Jesus. So back to Elijah for a second. Don't you think Elijah's prayers were heard by God? He stopped the rain. He started the rain. Killed all these dudes by himself. I mean, that's crazy. How does one guy kill 450 prophets? Maybe they were just holy and stood there with their head down, you know, mumbling. I don't know. But he whacked all those guys. And he started the rain. He stopped the rain. You know, he, he, he laid on the, the widow's son and brought him back to life. Wouldn't it be great to be a whiz at prayer like Elijah? And yet he failed. And, and, you know, he had, if you read the story carefully, he was reigning in life because the, the fervent prayer of the righteous man availed much. That's the reigning in life part. Okay? So if you have been made righteous now, and we are righteous because we're made new. Here's something else. You can't grow your righteousness to make it better. You can't remove your righteousness to make it worse because you do wrong things. You are righteous in God's eyes. Maybe you're not righteous in your eyes, but you're righteous in God's eyes. And that's all that stinking matters, right? There's nobody more righteous than anybody else. The second you are born again, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing you can do about it. Sorry. You're just righteous. That's it. Right? It's important to know. And, and we're, we're righteous in God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we, who's a we? Anybody a we? Right? We might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, in him. God in him. So how are we righteous? Because of what Jesus did. It's not what you did. It's not because of who you are. It's because of what Jesus did. You are who you are, right? So look at Romans chapter 5. Let's talk about this conversation, which we talk about a lot at the Bridge Church because we are a grace-believing church. But I want you to listen to a couple of things here about if, if I'm so righteous, pastor, why do I have such a hard time with my flesh? Right? Anybody besides me? Okay, just me then uh, that has trouble with his flesh. But I'm righteous, but I have trouble acting righteous. Not that it matters, but I want to be a good example. Right? So why do I have these issues? Right, so let's look at, at Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 17. He, he, Paul clearly explaining what's going on here. For if by one man's offense, talking about Adam, death reigned through one man, uh, through the one, much more. Let me just throw this out. Fun study if you're bored, got nothing to do. Study much more through the New Testament. That'll change your life, right? Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the, oh, there it is again, gift of righteousness. It's a gift. Did I mention that? It's a gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Therefore, because we're going to reign in life, because we are righteous, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. We were born that way. We were born in sin resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. What's the gift again? Righteousness. Righteousness. It's a gift, okay? 19, verse 19, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. The righteousness comes through Jesus, right? Verse 20, Moreover, the law entered... 
that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. This gift, this grace, this righteousness comes through Jesus. And it's, it's, if you can get a handle on being righteous, your prayer of faith is going to change. It has to. Because you are praying, again, out of your heart, and you're praying effective. The effective, fervent, white. That word fervent means white, hot, sizzling. Got some juice on that baby. Right? Fervent, effective prayer of the righteous man has to, we could almost say, has to avail much. If you're struggling in your prayer life, this is change everything. You start declaring that you're righteous, you've locked on to the promise of God, you're in business. You're halfway there. The only thing you got to figure out is how to stand and withstand what's coming. And Paul talks about that. If you flip over to chapter 6, verse 3, he says, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ? This is talking about being born again. This is not water baptism. He's talking about being born again, being baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his death. Why do I have so much problems with my flesh? Maybe you haven't killed it yet. Maybe you haven't dealt with it yet. Because all of us like to deal with our past. Right? Verse 4, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, I would circle that phrase because that's kind of important, the glory of the Father. Now think about this for a second. Remember Old Testament, when the glory of the Father came, it, it shone on Moses, for example, on his face, so much so he had to cover it with a veil, right? In the Old Testament, it was outside. In the New Testament, we are changed on the inside, born again by the glory of the Father. It's an inside change of your heart. It's the Holy Ghost that changes you and makes you new, right? Old covenant, outside. New covenant, inside change from the inside out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Amen, Pastor. That's good. I never knew that before. So we're baptized unto death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in a newness of life. Remember, that glory happens on the inside. That's what changes you. For if you have been united together in the likeness of his death, if you're struggling with your flesh, this is the fix. Maybe you haven't killed yourself yet. Just done away with your past. Right? You know what I mean. Certainly, we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Because of those things, knowing this, you got to know something. He says that your old man was crucified with him. Maybe if you're struggling with your past, you haven't strung him up on the cross yet. Right? And let me tell you something. None of this stuff and the righteousness and having it in your mind is ever going to be easy. Ever. It sucks to deal with this stuff. But if you're going to get over the hump and walk in authentic faith you gotta deal with this it's gonna not be fun knowing this that our old man was crucified with him the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to it this is what you have to do to your flesh right for he who has died has been freed from sin if you kill the past if you kill what's what's holding you back that's keeping your mind from being free and righteous, you're not going to have a problem with your flesh anymore. Okay? Now, that it, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him or you. Why? Because you're righteous you are righteous your past has been crucified it's been killed why are we still dealing with it then pastor because you haven't crucified your flesh likewise you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive unto God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. I skip verse 10 on purpose because I want you to get this, circle it, take a picture of it, put it on your fridge, put it in your bathroom on the mirror, write it on the wall, do whatever you have to do to understand verse 10. It says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once. Why do we keep repeating the same thing over if Jesus died once for all, but life, he lives, he lives unto God. We are going to crucify this thing and put it to bed, get righteousness, operate in this faith, because here's why the enemy could never throw anything up in Jesus' face, because his past was clean, he was sinless. But when we pray the prayer of faith, walking in authentic faith, the first thing, well, you know, I yelled at my kids this morning, so I don't qualify. I'm not. I'm unrighteous now. Or I yelled at my wife, or I, you know, screamed at somebody at work, or, you know, I, I haven't talked to my my kids in days, or whatever it is that keeps you unqualified for the righteousness that's already been done, because Christ died once. Got to deal with that. You got to crucify the flesh. Amen. It has to be done. Number three on your handout. The old man was buried in baptism. He is done. He is gone. The, the word of God brings the change. The faith brings faith type salvation. You're made new. You're made righteous. You are made to be on top and not below. We crucify the flesh. Just let it go. Right? And, and sometimes it's tough. Right? And, and even if, if you struggle with your flesh and you, you can't really get control of it, you're in good company. Because in chapter 7, Paul displays all his business. I can't do what I want to do. What I do is not what I want to do. What I do is wrong. All this stuff. He goes on and on and on about it. But then in the end, he says, chapter 8, verse 1, for now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. All that stuff is behind me. I've taken care of it. I've dealt with it. And I am free and free in Jesus, right? He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust, which we are conditioned to before we're born again, to obey everything that, you know, I want to eat. I want to sleep. I want to this. I want to that. Navy SEALs are really uh, intriguing to me. And there's a really book, really great book out uh, talking about leadership. But they talk about their training and how they're trained to condition their bodies to do what they tell them instead of what their bodies telling them. You know, our, our bodies tell us, oh, we're cold, so what do we do? Put a sweatshirt on. Oh, I'm hungry, so let's eat. Right, but Navy SEALs are trained and conditioned to tell their body what to do and when to do it. I'm going to stay awake for 48 hours, and that's it. They're conditioned in that, in that way. Wouldn't that be like bringing your mortal body under control and, and obeying the word and not your mortal lust, right? That would be great. So then he goes on here, verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness, uh, to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, that your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. This righteousness has been given to us, and, and it's, uh, we've been made righteous on the inside, looking out. It's a matter for us to get control of the outside and look in, and accept that righteousness for what it is. The things we, that we do that m don't make us unrighteous, you know, the things that we uh, that do that are unrighteous don't make us unrighteous. We're, ri uh, we're righteous no matter what because it's a gift. And, and you just receive that gift. Jesus died once and for all. Um, here's a question that, that a pastor asked me one time when I was struggling in this. I said, Pastor, you know, I, I'm struggling with controlling my, my, you know, lusts and all these things and food especially and anger. And, and, and he looked at me and he said this. He said, if God told us not to obey our mortal body and its lusts, would it be fair for us to 
would that be fair? I mean, if God told us not to do it, do you think it's not possible? Because if it's not possible, it wouldn't be fair that God told us not to. Yeah. Right? So it has to be possible for us to live a free and, and healthy body. That word reckon, way back in, in verse, uh, wherever it is, um, 11, means to accept as that which is already established. We have to accept what's already established. That established is your righteousness. It's established. So let's, let's receive it. You're not going to be any more righteous than you are today. You are completely and fully righteous. We just have to receive it. Let's all stand together. Remember, the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man or woman availeth much. Right? We're going to do a confession to close the series, and I want you to get this in your heart. Right? Let it get in your heart. Change your thinking. Do like Paul says in Romans 12, 2. Let's renew our mind. And let's get in on this thing because you can operate victoriously in life in every area. That is reigning in life. And we reign in life because we pray an effective, fervent prayer. And we're righteous. And we avail much in our prayer life. So much so, it's like in Acts where the, uh, the, the demon shows up to the guys. He's like, Peter, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? They're going to say, oh, man, Peter, I know, Paul, I know, Joni, I know, Noel, I know, Ladine, I know, Jimmy, I know, Javier, I know, all these people I know, because they pray an effective, fervent prayer, and they're righteous. Their prayers, because they operate in authentic faith, operate under the promise of God, which has to be true. Has to be. There is no question. So when we pray and stand on the word, we are delivering a fervent, effective prayer. Does that make sense? So close your eyes, bow your heads, lift one hand towards heaven. And I want you to repeat this after me, okay? And say it like you stink and mean it, because this is going to be the life-changing second for your life right now. The gift of righteousness is mine. I am righteous before God. I am righteous now. The Bible says my prayers avail much because God made me righteous. It's not according to my works. It's according to the gift of God. God has made me righteous because I have accepted Jesus. There's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing I will do to change it. I will always be righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Without guilt and condemnation, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My prayers are effective. My prayers are fervent. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now you begin to thank God for who he is. Thank you, Father, that you are my God. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. I thank you, Father, that the promises of God are yes and amen because I am righteous, I am fervent, I am a believer, I am in the family of God, I can change things because I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, in Jesus' name. Now when your flesh creeps up on you, here's what comes out of your mouth. When the dingbat at work is grilling you, when you're under fire, when your world is caving in on you, here's your words. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the devil will back up 
because the fervent, effective prayer of the righteous man or woman avails much. Has to. Has to. Because the word of God is true. That's why. So receive it today. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you and we honor you today with our words, with your word, God. Thank you, Father, that we are righteous, that through Jesus' redeeming work on the cross, everything he did, everything he went to, went through in those three days, Lord, are so that we can stand in this room tonight, today, and say we are, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This changes everything. This changes everything, God. And we thank you, Father, for your word that is truth. Thank you, Father, that we can gather today and lift up your name, lift up your voice, lift up your word. And Father, thank you for the change taking place in this room right now. Oh God, you're awesome. You're amazing, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the South Jordan, West Jordan, Harriman, or Riverton area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. Because of the recent events with COVID-19, we are meeting in Harriman temporarily until our new building is ready. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children and student environments, head over to thebridgelive.org or you can email info at thebridgelive.org or simply text 801-391-6969.